Well, good morning. I'm Kara Stromberg, and it's great to be back with you again. Uh, I've mentioned that uh, I live in St. Paul, and I, live, I grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and so I'm always driving through Mankato, and I'm always grateful for the chance to stop and actually visit and spend some time here. So this is a wonderful church. Thank you for the vibrant worship and warm welcome I've received. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, so I received the call to ministry at a young age. I was 17 years old, and my youth pastor took me to Dairy Queen and sat me down and said, Kara, I think... God is calling you to be a youth pastor. And I said, yeah, that's great. I think I'm going to go get a real job. <laughs> and uh, here I am. I'm a pastor. Uh, but sometimes I wonder about what I would do if I weren't a pastor. And I think I would like to be a chef. Uh, partly because I love cooking. I love trying new foods. But mostly I just love watching the cooking channel and how glamorous they make all of that look. How these people can, can take really nothing or these random ingredients and turn it into this delicious meal, all focused on originality, taste, and presentation, of course. So I love I love, you know, Throwdown with Bobby Flay and Iron Chef, uh, but my real favorite is Chopped because that feels a lot more like my life at home. Chopped, you have a mystery basket of ingredients and you open this up and you have 30 minutes to, on the clock to make something. And I feel like that's often my life at home. I've got small kids and so I open the fridge and what are we having tonight? Okay, dinner's on. Um, but I would really like to see uh, a Chopped family edition uh, where they have you know, all of the chopped things, but there's a toddler hanging on their leg and there's neighbor kids running through the t kitchen all wanting a snack and complaining about what you're making. And um, so I, I resonate with this idea of a high-stakes food challenge. And that's actually uh, a similar situation to where Jesus finds himself today in our passage, which is from John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with nothing but a few barley loaves and some dried fish. Uh, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, perhaps you've heard this story. And in fact, it's such a great story that all four of the gospel writers include this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write about this. And in fact, two of the gospel writers also write another story about how Jesus then feeds 4,000 people. And it's interesting, if you keep reading a couple chapters later, um, you know, we have Jesus feeding the 5,000. A couple chapters later, he feeds 4,000. And it's funny how the disciples are still... Uh, Jesus, I don't think we can do this. Really, I don't think this is going to work. And he's like, I just did this. But that's another sermon for another day. Today we're focusing on uh, feeding of the 5,000. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1. And the text will be up on the screen. And it starts with this. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Okay, stop here for a second. Uh, the context of this passage, we're dealing with a time in Jesus' ministry where he was going around and spending a lot of time healing people and teaching and performing miracles. And so he drew a crowd. It is not unusual that there would be a crowd of people following Jesus. Uh, John writes this gospel uh, marking time by the series of festivals that people in Jewish culture would have been familiar with. And so uh, the timing of this is right before the Passover festival. Uh, craziness is happening all around. Uh, we know from this same account written about in Mark chapter 6 uh, that Jesus actually invited his disciples on a boat to cross the sea. He said, come with me to a quiet place where we can get some rest. And it said they were so tired from all the coming and going, they hadn't even had a chance to eat. So it's the end of the day, people are tired, they're away with Jesus, and this crowd of people is there. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. 
it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So again, Jesus is on a hill with his disciples, are sort of debriefing the day, and a huge pot of people comes to be by them. I imagine it's somewhat like the paparazzi, uh, if you're famous. I don't really know what that's like. Um, but put yourself in Jesus and the disciples' shoes here. You're tired, you're hungry, um, you're, you're exhausted. Uh, if I were there when I'm tired and hungry, I'd get a little cranky, um, but we're not given that information. Again, it's late in the day. Um, I'm wondering if the disciples were maybe not feeling very hospitable toward this crowd. That's, I think that's a fair guess. Uh, yet Jesus does not see this crowd as an intrusion. He's not bothered by this. And in fact, he goes the extra step and he says, hey, let's feed these people. <laughs> Um, sort of like if you have family members um, who always sort of pop in for a visit right at dinner time, and eventually you realize that it's easier to just feed them than it is to sort of wait for them to get the hint and leave. Um, but anyway, Jesus decides that there's this huge crowd of people, thousands and thousands of people, and he decides that they're going to feed them. And so he asks Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed all of these people? And I wonder if Philip, in his mind, and some of the other disciples were wondering, why do we have to feed these people? I mean, they followed us. This is not my problem. They're the ones who perhaps didn't pack enough food for the day, so do, do we have to feed them, really? Why can't, they just, why can't they just go somewhere else and get food? But instead, Jesus is using this as a lesson. He's using this as an example to teach the disciples compassion. He's asking them to choose compassion in this situation. So let's keep reading. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed this crowd. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Philip's response is practical. We simply can't afford to feed this crowd. It's too much money. That's crazy. That's impossible. Then Andrew speaks up. Well, here's a little boy who's willing to share his lunch, but what good is that? I mean, it's clearly not enough. And here I wish scripture told us more details about what was really going on. Was Andrew secretly working the crowd uh, looking for food? And did he come across this boy and did he drag him by his ear to share his lunch? Or did the boy come forward willingly to share? Uh, I imagine it, it could have been like, uh, you know, those of you who are parents, you have these conversations in hushed tones about how you can't afford the big ticket items that your kids want. And your child overhears and they come forward with their piggy bank and they say, I could help, here's my $3.52. I, I wonder if it was something like that. This little child maybe just wanted to help. But this child comes forward and he offers his lunch. That's clearly not enough for this huge crowd of people. And instead, Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000 people. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. The point I want to make with this is that Jesus is not concerned with efficiency here. 
If the issue was simply getting food distributed to this large crowd of people, surely there are more efficient ways to get this job done. If you're familiar with the story of the Israelites in Exodus, where they're wandering around in the desert and they're hungry because there's no food, God literally made food fall from the sky and they had to go out and pick it up because it was on the ground at their feet. Surely Jesus could have snapped his fingers and it could have rained down bologna sandwiches and Cheetos or whatever they were having at the time and lunch could have been provided quickly and efficiently so then he could get on with the more important work of teaching. But that wasn't his point. His point was to make a point, was to, um, to make a point that what the little boy offered was enough. So instead, when Jesus, he took what the little boy offered, he didn't laugh at it and say, oh, you silly child, isn't that cute? But that's clearly not enough. We're dealing with big people problems here. No, he took it and he blessed it. And somehow he distributed that and it was enough for this crowd. And in fact, it was more than enough. It was abundant. And again, I always wonder how exactly this happened. Because I'd like to create a formula for then how I can make this happen in my own life for certain things. How did this happen? Did they all close their eyes to pray and then suddenly, poof, there's thousands and thousands of loaves of bread? I mean, surely, I think like Peter would have at least kept one eye open to be peeking about that and maybe, I don't know. I would just like to know how this happened. But we're not given that information because that's not the point. The point is that there was enough bread for everyone so that everyone could eat and be satisfied. And Jesus is making a larger point here. He's saying, I am the bread of life. Yes, you will have this real, actual bread to eat and give nourishment to your body, but I am the bread of life, and I'm sharing myself with you to be nourishment for your body and for your soul. So we are fed by God because Jesus is the bread of life, and Jesus is enough. It's important to understand this broader backdrop of Jesus being the bread of life so that when we read this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see this as a story of compassion within this broader picture. We still have this situation of thousands of needy people coming to Jesus hungry and Jesus responding to this crowd not as if they're an intrusion and he had more important things to do, but he saw this as an opportunity to practice compassion and to teach his disciples how to practice compassion. He also is showing that, using this to show that in a broader sense, we are being fed by God and that Christ as the bread of life is enough. So as you ponder this idea of what does it mean to be fed by God and that God really does provide for all of our needs in ways that we don't really understand, and therefore how do we respond with compassion to the needs around us? How does all of that work in the world? I invite you to reflect on three questions that I think will get at some of the practical pieces of this story. The first question is this, who has God placed in your path? It's an issue of noticing. It's a posture of curiosity about life. You can have a choice to go through life with your blinders on and your head down, just focused on all the things that you have to do to getting checked off of your to-do list. Or you can wonder about who God might have placed in your path. Simply notice who's there before you. In this story, it's easy because there was literally a crowd of thousands and thousands of people who were there in their path. But who has God placed in your path? I'd suggest that we could start by looking around the room. God has placed this church community in your path by the very nature uh, that you go to church together here at Crossview. Friends, family, work colleagues, neighbors, your church community. Sometimes it's people that you've never met. God places people in my path when I turn on the news and I see some of the stuff that's going on around the world. 
When I heard that there were earthquakes in Nepal, God placed those people in my path because suddenly I was aware of their story and I was aware of what was going on in their life. God places people through my path through the work of World Vision that I've known about for years. And I learned that there are 760 million people in the world who still lack access to clean water. So God placed those people in my path simply because I now know their story and I'm aware of what's going on with them. Which leads us to the second question that we can ask as we're unpacking this passage. After who has God placed in your path, the second question is this. What do they need? Again, in this story in the book of John, it was obvious. They needed food. They needed sustenance for their lives, bread. They needed something that would nourish their bodies and their souls. They needed physical bread, and they also needed Jesus, the bread of life. But think about the people in your path, and what do they need? Sometimes it's practical. Sometimes it's easy. Your neighbor needs to borrow your lawnmower. Great. Check that off your list. Sometimes it's stuff. People actually need stuff, donations of food, clothing, things like that, money. More often, it's emotional or less tangible. People need love, support, encouragement, words of thanks, a smile, respect, friendship, the gift of time. Sometimes it's complicated and overwhelming. Uh, I have some, some family members who are out of state, and they've just got so much stuff going on. They're dealing with addictions and, and stuff with their kids, and I don't really ever see them, and they're far away, but the needs are so great, and I get overwhelmed by that. And when I turn on the news, I will tell you, I get overwhelmed by the needs that I see around me when I turn on the news. Sometimes I just have to turn it off because I just can't physically take in anymore because the needs are so great. But that's where Jesus steps in. And he says, look, I am enough for all of that. Because the third question that Jesus invites us to ask as we're reflecting on this passage is simply, what do you have to give? What do you have to give? This is hard because if you're like me, your response is often nothing or I'm too busy, I can't do that. I've got too much going on. I don't have anything to give. But think about this little boy in the story who shared his lunch. The barley loaves that he offered were traditionally the food of the poor. And so if anybody had an excuse for saying, I don't have anything to give, it was probably this little kid. Yet he offered it up with a spirit of thankfulness and Jesus blessed it and somehow it was enough. So what do you have to give? Sometimes it's straightforward, and again, we talked about stuff. You can pack up a bag of clothes or food, and you can donate it, and that's an easy-peasy thing to do. Often you can give love. You can give a listening ear. You can sit with a friend over coffee for an hour and listen to what's going on in their life. When you go to the grocery store or the DMV, and you're standing in line, and you're a little punchy because you didn't plan ahead, and you're getting your groceries at the last minute, you have to get dinner on the table, perhaps what you have to give is a smile to the clerk. And that's a very simple thing that you can do. A couple weeks ago, we hosted a Northwest Conference event for children and families, so kids in elementary school and their parents to come together and to serve and to learn about the world around them. And we learned that even, even young kids, as young as preschool, can make sandwiches for homeless people, can unpack donations of clothing at Ark Value Village thrift store, can pack meals at Feed My Starving Children, and make a huge dent in the needs of the world simply by donating a few hours. So what do you have to give? Last year, I had the disturbing realization that I had a set of lungs and a pair of legs that work, and I had some free time in the early morning hours. And so what I had to give uh, was my time uh, to running the Twin Cities Marathon with Team World Vision. I was able to give that last year. I was also to give some small donations of money to help solve this problem of, of people throughout the world that lack clean water. 
$50 provides clean water for one person for life. I was shocked when I heard that. That's less than my family pays for our water bill for three months. Uh, so what do you have to give? Can you provide clean water for someone? You don't have 50 bucks? Give 10, give five. It doesn't matter because this is God's economy. God takes the meager offerings that we bring, even when we think, surely this is nowhere near enough, and we give it with a grateful spirit, and God takes it and he says, thank you. This is enough. Let me take it from here. And God does something amazing with that. When you're thinking about what do you have to give, the point is not to get you overwhelmed with feeling like you can't solve everybody's problems. I mentioned that I have a family out of state with all of this stuff going on, and really what I have to give for them right now is prayer. And I go to the Lord on their behalf with regularity, with regularity and that's what I have to give. And I trust that at some point, if God invites me to do something else about this situation, that God will make that clear to me. But right now, what I have to give is prayer, and I'm honored to do that. So sometimes that's what God is inviting you to do. When you think about all the needs around you and the people that God has placed in your path and, and the, how the needs are so great, maybe what you need to do right now is simply bring that to the Lord and to just pray. Because again, in God's economy, the point isn't for us to create the whole plan for how this is going to work out and how we're going to solve all of these problems. We simply notice who God has placed in our path, we identify the needs, and then we offer up what we have to give. And we are invited to trust God with this because it's Christ who is the bread of the world, it's not us. And sometimes we are the ones who, just like the disciples, are invited to help distribute it. Let me tell you a story. A couple years, I came, a couple years ago, I came across the story of a young boy named Austin Gutwein, who's nine years old, I think he's from Arizona. And uh, God placed some people in Austin's path because he went to Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher showed him a video in class about how kids in certain parts of Africa were being orphaned by the AIDS virus. And Austin felt moved in his heart about these kids, and he thought, this isn't right, and this isn't fair. These kids on the other side of the globe are just like me, except they don't have parents, and I have parents. And this little kid was moved to do something about it. So let's pause here. Who did God place in Austin's path? these kids on the other side of the world who had lost their parents. What were their needs? Oh my word, their needs, their needs were astronomical. They need parents, they need a cure for AIDS, they need medicine, they needed orphanages or other, other places to live and caring adults to raise them. They need schools, they need the love of Christ. I mean, oh my goodness, the list is amazing. And Austin thought, well, what do I have to give? And he thought, I know, as a nine-year-old can say, I like to play basketball. Basketball, really? We're talking about real needs here on the other side of the world. Yet, Austin, on World AIDS Day in 2004, shot 2,057 free throws to represent the 2,057 kids who'd be orphaned by AIDS that day while he was at school. He raised money, he got money from his friends and his family, and he raised $3,000, and he sent the money to World Vision. And World Vision took this money and they gave it to eight children who were orphans and eight kids' lives are changed because a little kid responded to these world needs by playing basketball. Now that was 2004. Austin's now in college. And uh, this ministry, Hoops of Hope, has grown. And through little kids shooting free throws, this ministry has grown into an international ministry that's raised over $3 million. This ministry now feeds over 1,500 kids each day in Malawi, has provided mosquito nets, medical supply kits, bicycles, clean drinking water, food, clothing, shelter, a new school, four dormitories, two computer labs, teacher houses, 
and two medical testing facilities. Excuse me, I've heard this story a million times and I still get choked up because it doesn't make sense. And we are told that through the work of this kid who wanted to play basketball, that this saved an entire generation. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. All because a nine-year-old kid heard about the great need in the world and responded by playing basketball. It doesn't make any sense. And again, it's not supposed to. Because this is what being sustained by Jesus Christ, the bread of life, looks like. Jesus is both the source and the provider of this life. As one scholar put it, he says, being fed by God is beyond our natural comprehension. It's utterly mysterious and will evoke feelings of fear and confusion, and in some cases, anger. These are divine things, heavenly realities that lie beyond our abilities. We should not complain or grumble about them. It's God alone who can supply divine insight. Our task is simply to stand and to receive, to engage, and to be open to the work of the Spirit as he permits us glimpses into realities too deep for us to understand. So I invite you to remember that in the times that you feel weak, that God is strong. It's not about you, it's about God working through you. It's about learning to trust God. That God is both the source and the provider of all we need for sustenance, for nourishment, for life. Both for you and for those people that God places in your path. May we all be receptive to that and be ready to respond with whatever God has laid on our hearts to give. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, I thank you for the gift of air in our lungs and for the gift of another day. I pray that you go before us, help us to be receptive and open, help us to notice, help us to receive the gifts that you have given to us, and may we be aware of the work that you are doing in our lives and in the world around us. Thank you so much for being the bread of life and for offering that bread to us to feed and nourish and sustain us. Teach us to trust you with all things. In your precious name we pray, amen.